0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Ridge Church Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us, check us out online at theridgechurch.net. Also, be sure to connect with us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening today. So the title of the message today is Ordinary Men, Extraordinary Purpose. Now, when we look at this, I want you to kind of step back because I got a question for you. My question is this, what is your purpose? Now, you're like, oh, that's a big question. Like, what is my purpose? What am I supposed to do? Well, I want to kind of reflect on that because we're going to come back to it. Now, when I was growing up, one of the things that I always went to that I would think is my purpose is really like, what am I going to be? What am I going to, when you dream of what you're going to do with your life, right? That is kind of like, well, that, that is my purpose, and being a, a, a child of the 80s, like the MTV generation, one of the, the biggest things that I was looking at was I saw all these celebrities, like it was like all these people that were becoming rich and they were becoming famous. And when I was younger, I was like, oh, well, that's our purpose. Like that is what we are supposed to do. That's what we're supposed to strive to get because these people are on MTV and they are famous and they are rich. And I don't know if you remember, there was, uh, I used to watch this show, uh, Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous, you know, this, and it was a show that, like, showed, like, people's houses and mansions, and it was just huge, and you would watch it, and you would just drool over, like, all the stuff that these people would have, and you would put that, elevate that to a point of, like, well, that's what I must have, like, that's, that's my goal in life, that is my purpose, to be able to get that, you know, and this celebrity culture that we look at—you know—it uh, started out lifestyles of rich and famous, and then later it was on MTV Cribs. It was the same thing; like it was looking at people's fortunes, what people had acquired, and then basically we look at it and wish we could do the same thing. Uh, this week, while I was uh, scrolling on Facebook, I saw something that was a—it was a flyover, like a drone was flying over a, a mansion's house. So I don't know why I came up in my feed. I just and I stopped and I watched it. It was Tom Hanks. So this drone went over Tom Hanks' house, and I was like, "Ooh!" Like I want to see. Like I was drawn. I was sucked right back into it. Like I wanted to see, and I was looking. Oh, he's got two pools, and like, wow, I wonder what he does there. And like looking at this huge mansion that he has, and uh, and we look at that, and even to this day that I'm looking at that, and it's still like. I'm like, why am I so fixated on that? Why is that something that I think, well, maybe someday I, you know, it's like, no, I'm not even in that headspace, but I still am drawn to it. It's because of this, we put celebrities on pedestals, um, but, you know, they are human just like us, and thinking about Tom Hanks, Tom Hanks is the one person, like, I, I watched him when I was growing up, and I was like, man, I want to be like Tom Hanks, man, he is the nicest guy, and, and I just want to be like Tom Hanks, and then you see one of those videos where they, somebody catches them in a bad moment, and, like, he was upset because something happened to his wife, and he just just angry, and he was ugly, and you look at that, and I'm like, no, like that can't be Tom Hanks. That's not the Tom Hanks I love. Like, and looking at that, and you realize that these people are—they're human. Like, we're all, you know, in the same place. Um, this week I was doing a study on right now media that um, that we are doing in the next group in the twenty somethings, and it's called Jesus in Our Generation, and it's uh, by Ben Stewart. And this idea of being obsessed with fame and fortune has really come to the point where, you know, it's like, this is, like, who we are, where we want to even make our own channels, like, our own social media, and then we want people to join it, and then, like, it builds us up and and who we are, and we are obsessed with fame in our culture. So in this study, he, he mentioned this quote from a guy, who's Jack Higgins, who is an author and a, a breakout novelist from Britain, and he actually writes, uh, like, espionage thrillers. He's, he's done all these books, and then a lot of them have become movies, and, um, and he, the first one, I believe, sold, sold over 50 million copies. So the, he was asked, what would he tell his younger self? What has he learned that he would tell himself when he was younger? And he said this, I wish I would have known when I got to the top, there was nothing there. And I thought that is good because you know that is what we set this up like. This is my purpose, and this is what we're going to do. And the whole world is doing that, and we say. And then he is saying that there is nothing there. It is so sad. That is an empty purpose in life. Um, if. If you are a Christ follower, you are to glorify God in all that you do. That is your purpose. And that is a life filled with purpose. Um, And we're going to talk about that today. So in today's text, we see ordinary men with an extraordinary purpose. Uh, Now, I definitely want you to realize these were ordinary men. They, They were not special in any way. And we often think about these men, when we think about the apostles, at least I used to when I was younger, as like these iconic religious figures. And I got this picture I want to show you of like this iconic stained glass, holier-than-thou kind of people, and that is who they are. We look at the uh, apostles and we kind of put them out there, and that's what we think they are. But today, when we study this text, I really want you to see that these are ordinary men. But we remember as we come to the context of the Scripture today um, that these ordinary men were used for an extraordinary purpose. And that purpose was because of Jesus. So uh, these are ordinary men. So what I want to do is I want to review just a little bit. As we continue in Mark chapter 3, I always want to remind you that Mark was written by John Mark. And through the eyewitness accounts of Peter. Now, we're going to be talking about Peter today and who he is. Uh, This is one of the synoptic Gospels, and when you look at the four Gospels, there's Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and then there's John. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are synoptic, which means that they they overlap in their stories. So, you can see in all three of them certain events that are going on, and we'll see that a little bit today. Um, As we look at the Gospels, you get a fuller view as you look at all three of them, to some of these events that is going on. Now, it was written to a Gentile audience, the Gospel of Mark. It's the shortest gospel, and we've seen a lot happen just in the first three chapters. Um, Jesus has begun healing. He's casting out demons and preaching, and everyone is amazed by it. There's crowds like crazy now following him, very large crowds. Uh, he continues to turn everything upside down. Now, at this point, in chapter 3, Jesus has revealed his authority and who he is. His authority is God. Now, at the end of chapter 2, he says that he is over the Sabbath. Now, this angered the Pharisees. That it drove them crazy that he would say this. Um, and then he healed a man with a withered hand on the Sabbath. Um, and what did he do? He revealed their hearts because he said, what is more important? Um, And they were stuck in this legalism that they had created so much that their heart was not for this man. So he revealed their hearts. Then they plotted to destroy him. So last week we saw our big idea was this. Jesus exposes a heart issue, and the takeaway was we need God to transform our hearts. Um, So just remember, there are great crowds that are now following him. So great crowds, you think about like, have you ever been to like a concert where it's like, so you can't even walk, that kind of great crowd that would crush him. Um, so Jesus' ministry begins to expand. So he chooses these 12 men for a specific purpose. All right. So what is our big idea this week? Our big idea is this. Jesus called ordinary men for an extraordinary purpose. And that is what we are going to be focusing on, specifically as we look at who these men are, and we break that down this week. So what do we see about these men, and specifically the purpose that Jesus gives them? Uh, So as we look at the text today, it should give us hope. So why? Why should it give us hope? Because this was a very unique bunch of guys he chooses. And you can imagine what the Pharisees, who look at these guys, would be like, why why these men? Why did he choose these men? Because there is nothing special about them. So what we're going to do, we're going to break down the text today, learn more about these men and, uh, and their purpose, and then we'll see how we can apply this to our lives, okay? So let's start in verse 13. Verse 13 says this, and he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. Now, remember what was before this. There was overwhelming crowds, so Jesus went up on the mountain to get away from the crowds. After that, he called specific men. Now, I want, before we glaze over that, speed through that, I want to make that point. He called specific men. He didn't go to the great crowd of people there and say, listen, you know what? I'm thinking about putting a couple guys together together I need some volunteers. Anybody? Anybody? Anybody want to join? Anybody? No, he did not do this. He had a specific uh, plan in mind and specific men that he was going to. Um, So what do we see about these men and their purpose here? These men were chosen. These men were chosen. Now it says they uh, they came to him, and that's translated, uh, they, they went away unto him. So they were chosen and they went to him. Now, there was a distinct process here. Jesus thoughtfully, prayerfully chose these men. It wasn't random, it wasn't like he had him count off, okay, count by fives one, two, three, four, five. Okay, now I want all the ones to come with me. No, he knew exactly who he was going to pick. Um, in Luke 6 12 through 13, it says this. In these days, he went out to the mountain to pray. And all night, he continued in prayer to God. And when the day came, he called his disciples and chose from them 12, who he named apostles. So you see, right there, a little bit more information when we go to Luke, the Gospel of Luke. And what do we see? In these days, he went out to the mountain. Why? To pray. So he went out to pray. And he was there how long? All night, he continued in prayer. So he was talking to God about his plans moving forward. So all night he prayed to God. So Jesus called them, and then they came to him. He was very intentional with these specific men. Now in John 15, 16, it says this when he talks about him choosing them. Now this is in the Gospel of John. This is after um, he has told them how important it is to love one another. He's also at this point told them that they're, he, he's no longer calling them servants, but he's calling them friends. So you see how personal he is making this. So John fifteen sixteen says this, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. You see, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you. This idea that there's an appointment here to do something, and that is what we see. So what I want you to do is look at the larger picture here. Um, He wasn't like, you know, I think that the Father has a plan, and so I'm just going to pick some random guys. This may or may not work. I really don't know. No. So you need to realize that there is a specific plan that Jesus knows and that he is following. He wasn't leaving anything to chance. He knows the plan. What's interesting about that is one of the uh, apostles he picks. He picks Judas, right? So Judas, you would think, well, why would he pick Judas? He betrays him. But do you think this was a surprise to Jesus? No, absolutely not. In John 6, 70 and 71, it says this. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is the devil? He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he was one of the twelve, was going to betray him. He knew exactly who Judas was. He knew exactly what Judas was going to do. Why? Because this is part of God's plan put in motion. There are no accidents in this. So these men were chosen on purpose for God's perfect plan. All right, let's go on to the next verse. Verses 14 and 15 says, And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach, and have authority to cast out demons. So as we look at this, he appointed twelve, right, and called them apostles, and they are to do three things. Number one, very important, to be with him, to be with him. Number two, they're sent out to preach. And number three, he gives them the authority to what? To cast out demons. Those are the three things that are mentioned here in the text. They are to learn from him, and they are to go out as ambassadors. So we talk about an ambassador. What is that? That is a person who represents um, someone. So these are ambassadors for Jesus, people who represent Jesus and his message. So what do we see here about these men and their purpose? These men were commissioned. These men were commissioned. They were given a specific purpose that they were supposed to do. They were set aside for a purpose. Another, another word for this is ordained. If you talk about ordained, this is being set aside. Like, as a pastor here at the Ridge Church, I have been ordained. So what does that mean? That means the elders have come together and decided that I can be a pastor here. So I'm ordained. I'm set aside for ministry. So I had the chance to go to Farmersville and see my son get ordained. His an ordination ceremony, and I got to speak there. So what happened there was he got up. And the elders came together, prayed over him, and basically said, we are setting you aside for ministry. We are commissioning you for the work of ministry. That is being ordained. So set aside for a specific task. So he gave them a message, and they were to carry on that message. So why the 12? You know, why not you know, 10 or 16? Or why not 20? That seems like a good number. So why did he pick 12? Um, well, there's meaning to that number. God established 12 tribes in the Old Testament, and this was him establishing his church in the New Testament, 12 apostles as a foundation in what he was doing. So that is the significance of 12. And you read in Matthew chapter 19 when he talks about these apostles. Now, at this point in Matthew, he is talking about... uh, Uh, He's talking to the rich young ruler and what is important, to give everything away, to follow him. So then he's talking specifically to the the apostles here. Jesus said to them, "'Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel.'" So Jesus is saying that, and that is an incredible statement. And you can imagine being one of those 12 and being like, whoa. Like, this is what is planned for me. This is what I'm going to do. What an amazing responsibility that they get to look forward to. So when we talk about apostles and when we talk about being commissioned, uh, Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, was converted by Jesus on the road to Damascus. And there he was commissioned. In Acts 26, 16, it says this, But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you, all right, so there's the commissioning, to appoint you as a servant and a witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you. Paul, not knowing what was coming, what was in store, was appointed by Jesus in that moment. Then as the church progresses, we see what Paul says about this uh, commissioning and being an ambassador. Paul appeals to the church in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says this, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So you see how it went finally into the church as being ambassadors. Um, These original 12 men were chosen and commissioned, set aside for a purpose. Now, do you realize the significance of this? Like, this, this moment is why we are here today, because of these men. It's pretty incredible if you stop and think about what is going on here and how God used these men in the starting of the church, in the growing of the church. So let's see who these men are. Uh, We got four fishermen, a tax collector, a zealot, five unknowns, and a betrayer. You look at this, they're all lay people. So what is a lay person? That means they, they have no formal training in the scriptures. These are common, ordinary men. Now, this, this list of men also appear in other places in the Bible. Now, I encourage you to look at them, though we are not going to read through all of these today, but I have listed them to you in your handout, so you can go to them. So Matthew 10, uh, verses 2 through 4, Luke 6, 14 through 16, and Acts 1, verse 13. Now the difference there, you'll see if you go and you study in each one. There's some names that are kind of interchangeable. Some are nicknames, and they believe it's the same person. So you can go and study that. And then also, when you get to Acts 1.13, you see that there is one missing, and that is Judas because he has uh, committed suicide. And if we look at that at the end of chapter one, they cast lots for a new apostle, and that is Matthias, who is then brought on as the twelfth apostle. Now. We know a lot about some of these in these lists, and we know a little about some also. So it's, it's a wide range in who these guys are and what we can learn from the text. So let's continue in verses 16 and 17 and look at these men. So starting at verse 16, he appointed the 12, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Bo- Boanerges. That is sons of thunder. Now, this list starts with Peter, and he's probably the most well-known apostle, and it's probably not for the best reasons a lot of times because some of his not-so-good qualities come out. Right? He denies Jesus. He is emotional at times and reacts on emotion, but he is the leader and spokesman for the group. Uh, Then we see James and John, uh, given a nickname, Sons of Thunder, uh, lending to mean they are hot tempered. So, if you look at this and you see who these guys are, they were regular, ordinary men. So, what do we see about these men and their purpose? That's the point we want to make here. These men were ordinary. They were ordinary, they were regular men with flaws and nicknames. If you think about, like, your family or you think about your friends, what is a common thing you do? You have nicknames. Like, you call each other by nicknames because you have a close relationship there. But these men also have great flaws in wh- how they behave and what they do. And what's amazing about this, if you look at their stories and who they are and who they become, you see amazing transformations in them and how God works and moves in their lives. So let's take a look at Peter first. So John 1.42. He brought him to Jesus. So he is his brother, Andrew. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Now, Simon's name changed to Peter, which means rock, right? And that is an interesting choice that Jesus would pick, because a lot of times he was not a rock at all in what he was doing. Uh, But you see how he grew in who he was, So he gives him the name Rock. If you think about Peter's strengths and who he is, um, he was a leader and gave up everything to follow. He was the first to grasp really who Jesus was in the group. He was also trusting and courageous. Uh, He did, he walked on water. He was the only other person besides Jesus to walk on water. Peter's weaknesses, he was prideful and presumptuous. Uh, thought he knew better than Jesus on some things. You're like, what? like he says something, it just makes you uncomfortable. Like, why, why would you say that to Jesus? He refused to let Jesus wash his feet, so he was also prideful. Though courageous, he was also afraid. Why do we know that? Because he denied Jesus three times. Next, if we go on, there's James and John. We go to Matthew four twenty two or 4.21 and 22. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father uh, and followed him. So we are introduced to James and John. They are brothers. So they have their second set of brothers here. So we got Peter and Andrew, then and we have James and John, which is interesting to put brothers in this group of apostles. Um, They are the son of Zebedee, um, sons of Zebedee. So he, what do we know about Zebedee? He's a prosperous uh, fisherman. He has a high social position. He associates, and the only reason we know that is because he associates with the high priest. Um, Now, they were called the sons of thunder. And I'm, I look at that, I'm like, man, that's a cool nickname. Wouldn't you like it if Jesus was like, man, you're the Sons of Thunder? He'd be like, yeah, I am the Sons of Thunder. Like, so what does that mean, though? Sons of Thunder is probably referring to the stormy tempers, like that they have quick, hot tempers. And how do we know that? Because in Luke 9, 52, uh, they suggest to destroy an entire village for rejecting Jesus. So you see how they're quick to judge and they have a temper there. In what they do. But if you look at how they change, it is an amazing change. Because if you look at John, John is also known as the apostle of what? Of love. He's the apostle of love. He's the longest living disciple. He wrote the Gospel of John, he wrote three letters, and he wrote the book of Revelation. James was also very strong in his faith and, and thought to be the first to be martyred for his faith. So these ordinary men would go on to accomplish great things. At Pentecost, Peter would preach, and 3,000 people would be saved. But I want to stress something. These ordinary men had one important thing in common, and this is extremely important. They were with Jesus. They were with Jesus. Acts 4.13 says this. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, and I want to repeat that, that they were what? Uneducated, common men. They were astonished, and they recognized that what? They had been with Jesus. And you see that, in Jesus call to them, right? That was the first thing, to come to him and to be with him. It was because they had been with Jesus. So I want you to think about your faith today. Do you spend time with Jesus? Think about this. If Jesus had called these guys and said, okay, I want you, you, and you, and he looked at Peter, and Peter's like, okay, yeah, okay. Well, here's the deal. I can come on you know, Sunday for about an hour, hour and a half, so I'm good there. If it goes over that, they're really not good for me. If, yeah, that should be good, and then I'll wait, and you know what? I'll come back next Sunday, and I'll have you know, another hour and a half that I'll have free for you, Jesus, you know, if you put it in that perspective, that is not. Jesus would have been like, uh-uh, that's not, that's not an apostle. An apostle is someone who comes to him, spends time with him, right? So I would ask, are you spending time with Jesus? Sunday is good. When we come together and we worship and we learn from God's text and we have fellowship together, that is a wonderful, wonderful thing. But you cannot deg- neglect your relationship with him throughout the week. So it was because they had been with Jesus. All right. So the the point that we see there, these men were ordinary. All right. They were ordinary men. All right. Let's look at the rest. Verses 18 and 19. Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus and Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. So let's get to know these men. So first of all, we have Andrew. So Andrew is, as we mentioned before, Peter's brother. So he is also a fisherman. So that makes four fishermen. Uh, So if you look at this group, you see a very working class group, right? You would call that like a blue-collar group together. Now, apparently, he was the first disciple from the group. Uh, So what does that mean? He started with John the Baptist, and it was a disciple of John the Baptist, and then he went to Jesus. And he actually brought Peter to Jesus. Um, He also, you see this uh, throughout scripture, that he was also someone who would bring people to Jesus because he brought Gentiles, he brought Greeks to Jesus with Philip, one of the other apostles. So let's go on to Philip. Now, there's not as much recorded about Philip. And as we go through, we see kind of less and less that we know about these men. Um, now, he, Philip was slower to react in his faith, so he actually took the time to think through things. Um, now, he did go and tell Nathaniel about Jesus. So we see another apostle, and this is an ongoing thing, that what? They go to somebody else, and what do they do? They bring them to Jesus. So Philip also did this. Now, Philip is also mentioned in the feeding of the 5,000 and he, um, in the Last Supper. So um, those are places where we see his attitude and how he interacts. We go on to Bartholomew. So Bartholomew, also known as Nathaniel, um, is a close friend of Philip. And like I said, Philip was the one who went to get uh, Bartholomew, or Nathaniel. Uh, his character was revealed by Jesus uh, when Jesus looked at him and said this. It says, He said, in him is nothing false. So we see a very strong character in Bartholomew and who he is. Next, we move on to Matthew or Levi. Now, we have studied and came across Matthew earlier in the text, and I want to go to there and just read through that. Now, he was a tax collector and hated by all. So, let's see. Mark 2 verses 14 and 15 says this, and as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me, and he rose and followed him, and as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many who followed him, so he was the one. If you remember, that was uh, the one that the Pharisees and everybody else they looked at him, and he was hated by all. Why? Because he was a tax collector. Um, so they made the mention that why is he dining with sinners? Why is he hanging out with them? That is uh, that text in Mark uh, 2. Thomas was known as what? The doubter, right? Doubting Thomas. He was a man, though, of great courage. If you look at the text and how he reacts to things, he follows Jesus even if it means death. He was skeptical and doubted when hearing about Jesus' return. He wasn't there. He needed to see for himself. Uh, But then, when he finally did see him, he gave the strongest testimony he finally could when he looked at Jesus and said, what? My Lord and my God. There's an exclamation point with that. My Lord and my God. So you see his passion for Jesus. James and uh, Thaddeus. Now, very little is known about these two apostles, and only clues are given about their names. So we got James... So who is he? Well, he's the son of Alphaeus, right? That is the only thing that we actually know about James. Now, Thaddeus' uh, nickname, because we know what that means, kind of reveals a little bit about his character. It's a a man of heart or a tender-hearted man is what that means, Thaddeus. So we know a little insight with them, but obviously not as much as we know about the other apostles. All right, Simon the Zealot. Now, zealot, if you were given that label, is a political reference. So what does that mean? So he was part of a fanatical Jewish party against Rome. Against Rome. He hated and bitterly opposed foreign domination. So that, he, if, that was where he was as far as his political views, so much that they gave him the label the zealot, Simon the zealot. And last listed is Judas. Now, whenever you see Judas, you always see the label after him, always with the reference who would betray, who would betray, so you know who Judas is. And he would be replaced after his death by Matthias as the apostle. So what do I want you to see about these men and their purpose here as we went through that list Uh, very quickly? These men were diverse. These men were ordinary, and these men were diverse. This was a crazy group of of men. It was a mix of, of guys that you wouldn't see normally together. For example, look at Matthew and Simon the Zealot. That is a perfect example. We have two guys on the opposite ends of a political spectrum brought together to be in this group. Right? Matthew, the tax collector, worked for Rome. And then you have the other guy, the zealot, Simon, who was bitterly opposed to Rome and the government. But yet Jesus brings these two guys to work together. Opposite political views. Can you even imagine? Like, that's kind of like, if you think about us today, that's kind of like, a lot of times, what do we do? We put political views up here, right? And then we put, well, now we're Christ followers underneath. Like, but it should be the other way around, really. Our our identity and who we are as a Christ follower, and then we should be able to get along with people of other political parties, when they are Christ followers, opposite political views. Only Jesus could bring these guys together. Believing in Jesus brings people together, uh, and we know from Scripture we are a body in Christ. So who do you know? This is an interesting question to think about. Who do you know that's not in your immediate circle because of Jesus? What do I mean by that? Every week, and here at the church, if you're, when you come together, there's people that you know, people that you talk to, people in your circle now because you're a Christ follower if you're a believer, right? You get to know them. But if that were not the case, you probably would never associate with these people because you're not running in the same circles. I'll give you a good example. A good gap would be age. So you've got high schoolers, right, who attend the church, who regularly talk and have interaction with the elders of the church. Like, that is a relationship that is created. Why? Because part of the body of Christ. These two would not probably interact unless they were brought together by Jesus, So these men were diverse, brought together for one purpose in in Christ. All right, let's go to the last two verses, 20 and 21. Then he went home, and the crowd gathered again, so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, he is out of his mind. Now, this is an interesting text here, because... You wouldn't, like, you're reading that his family is like, man, Jesus is crazy. Like, we knew him before, and now he's out there. He's got crowds following him. He's doing healings and all, all of this. He must be out of his mind. That is how his family is looking at him, the people that knew him before his ministry. A very different perspective. So as we look at this final text, we also believe that this is, after verse 19, was the Sermon on the Mount. And then verse 20 is after the Sermon on the Mount, if you are aligning them with the other Gospels. Just kind of put in text where this is. Once again, overwhelming crowds. But now we see that Jesus' family did not understand. Uh, This was a view uh, that, that that these men were up against, like this opposition. And you don't often think of that, that there's people out there talking like this, like, man, what? Well, who are these guys? And they're following this guy who's like crazy. He is out of his mind. But these men were all in. And this didn't matter. Why? Because they were devoted. So what do we see about these men and their purpose here? These men were devoted. These men were devoted to Jesus, to his ministry, John 7, 5 says this, once again, for not even his brothers believed in him. Like when you think about it from that context of what was going on at the time, that not even his family, not even his brothers knew what was going on. Why? Because they didn't understand. Now James, not that James we're mentioning as an apostle, but James, his brother, would go on and what? To be one of the great leaders of the Christian church in Jerusalem. But it wasn't until after Jesus was crucified, buried, and resurrected, that he would come to that uh, realization. I want to read to you 2 Corinthians 5.13. Now, this is the same uh, text here, that what we touched earlier, talking about being ambassadors for Christ in verse 20. Now, this comes before that at verse 13. It says this, For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. So what does that mean there? Well, some other translations say it like this, which is interesting. The NIV says this, for if we are out of our mind, it is for God. The New Living Translation says, um, if it seems we're crazy, it is for God. So what is this? If we look at this text, what is Paul saying here? It's that the world will not understand. From a worldly perspective, we're going to look crazy. The idea of the gospel and what Jesus came to do, and as we, as we, as we spread the gospel, the world won't understand. They'll say, man, what is going on here? What do these people think? Are they crazy? But God has made it clear to those who understand those who hear the gospel, God's perfect plan. And if you're here today and you don't know what God's perfect plan is, or if you hear me say, well, this is what the gospel is, well, God has made a way. Because, why? Because each and every one of us are born into sin because of the fall. Our relationship was broken, but God was gracious in his mercy and grace and made this perfect plan. And what did he do? He sent his son to pay the price. Why? Because the price had to be paid and he's the only one who could do it. So because of Jesus paying the price, dying on the cross, being buried, resurrected, beating death, he he took on that. He paid that price. So what? We could be righteous. We could be righteous before God. But you have to surrender to him. You have to make him lord of your life. This is the gospel that Jesus would come and live a perfect sinless life and choose to die. It was all his choice. He chose to die for wretched sinners like you and me. We must surrender to him. He is the only way. These men were so devoted to him that 11 of them were martyred. Now, that is a very significant point to make because these men were so devoted, believed so strongly in the gospel, saw what Jesus did, that they were willing to live their lives promoting the gospel, living it out, and die for it. Now, when we talk about how they died, Peter, it is said, that was, was crucified upside down because he didn't want to be crucified on a cross like Jesus because he didn't think he was worthy, right? Other, there's other traditions saying which way, like all of them... Uh, were martyred, but all of them died because of their faith, except for John. John, who went on uh, to prison, but then also wrote the book of Revelation, actually died peacefully. But these men were so devoted that they they were able to die for their faith. And I want you to think about that. Are you devoted enough that you would die for your faith? What an example these men were. What an example when he chose them as the foundation of the church, what they went on to do, what they they became, and then how they died. So as we conclude, as we have looked at the third chapter in the Gospel of Mark, we have seen what this text reveals about these men. This is what I want you to remember about them. They were chosen, right? They were commissioned. They had a purpose that Jesus gave them. There was nothing special about them. They were ordinary. They were ordinary men. And it was a diverse group of guys, a very mixed group. And they were devoted, devoted until death. They understood and devoted themselves to their purpose in Christ. That was their purpose. So, what is our next step today? As we look at this and we apply this to our own lives. Our next step is this, find your purpose in Christ. Find your purpose in Christ. You know, when I started and I started talking about what we look for, like what it takes to make it, stop trying to find purpose in the world. Remember, the world's going to think we're crazy. God has a perfect plan, and you can trust in him. These ordinary men had an extraordinary purpose, and this is where we can have hope. Because you know what? They were flawed. Guess what? I'm flawed. Guess what? You're flawed. They were ordinary men. Guess what? We're ordinary men and women, all of us. But the amazing thing is that God chooses to use us for his kingdom. Just as we saw how God used them, he can use us. And that is amazing. And there's no greater joy being used for God's kingdom. No greater joy. I want to leave you with my favorite verse, Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Why is that my favorite verse? Because everything in there, so we are his workmanship, man. He created us for a purpose and a plan. And guess what? He's already got it laid out. All we got to do is step into it. All you got to do is surrender to him. He's prepared beforehand that we should walk in it. And he gives us that opportunity. But you know what? Most of the time we're like, nope, I'm going to go this way. This is my way. But you know what? It's so much better to walk in his plan. That's where we get joy. That's where we get fulfillment. He already has a plan for you. Surrender and find your purpose in him today. I came across this. This is a John MacArthur quote. He was saying this about the apostles. I thought this was so good. He said, our Lord uses weak, failing, ignorant saints. You know why? That's all there are. That's it. And then he says, uh, welcome to the group. Like, what an encouragement that is. Weak, failing saints, flawed saints. Well, welcome, because that's who we are. So, and then uh, we are only extraordinary through him. We're ordinary. He is extraordinary. Remember, ordinary men, extraordinary purpose. And that's us too. That is us too. So find your purpose in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you today just thankful we praise you that uh, we can come to this text and such, um, such wonderful uh, men that we can see, Father, that we can relate to uh, Father, we see that you have put your purpose and your plan in place and used these flawed men to carry out your will. So, Father, we look at their example and we look at how they are devoted and look at how they follow. And, Father, I just pray for each and every person here today. If there is someone here who has not surrendered, Father, they are, they are hearing the gospel, they are understanding. Father, I just pray that you transform their hearts that they will find their purpose in you and not in this world. That you will give them that fulfillment, Father, as, as only we can get, as directed by you. Father, are so thankful that we can come together as a body, as, as a diverse body, Father, that we are here because of you. And Father, we are here because of the foundation that was laid in the church. And what a blessing that is, Father. It is overwhelming to even think that we get to be part of your plan, that we get to help carry that out, Father. So use us in a mighty way. We are broken, we are flawed, we are imperfect, but Father, I just implore you to use us in your will. So Father, we're so thankful for this time together today. We wanna give you the praise and we always wanna worship you in all that we do. So we love you, we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks again for joining us today. If you have questions about this message or about the Ridge Church, you can contact us at infotheridgechurch.net. Have a blessed day.